Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. So the definitive lineup of Blink-182 is back. Mark Hoppus and Travis Barker have reunited with guitarist and vocalist Tom DeLonge. They've announced a huge tour, an album next year, and there's a new single out right now. In a minute, I'm going to be talking with Andy Green about all of that and the whole story of Blink-182. Tom's substitute in the band for the last few years was Matt Skiba of the band Alkaline Trio, and Tom just released a note he sent to Matt. Hi Matt, Tom DeLong here. I wanted to take a minute and say thank you for all that you've done to keep the band alive and thriving in my absence. I think you are enormously talented. I still love to listen to your band to this day. You have always been so kind to me, not only in the press, but also to others. I really noticed. Emotions between the three of us and Blink have always been complicated. But Mark's cancer really put things in perspective. But to be honest, the band would not even be here today if it were not for your ability to jump in and save the day. So from my heart to yours, thank you for being a member of our band. So yes, Mark Hoppus recently survived cancer, which is just the latest chapter in what happens to be the really complex, sometimes dark, sometimes triumphant story of this band. Travis Barker, of course, survived the plane crash. Tom DeLonge is an important UFO researcher. It's all a lot. And I talked about all of it with Rolling Stone's Andy Green. But first, a taste of Blink-182's new single, which we'll also be discussing. So Tom DeLonge is back in Blink-182 for the first time since 2015, but it feels like a lot longer. The world is very excited. And there is a new Blink-182 song. It's the first Blink-182 song with Tom in a decade. It has the somewhat unfortunate but very Blink-182 title of Edging. And it is certainly a back-to-basics Blink-182 song. What do you make of it? I was impressed by it. I think it took me a few listens to really get into it. I think it works. It's the classic sound. It's sort of the early aughts sound they had. It's a good way to bring everything back because they both sing on it, which is sort of rare. It's a rare Blink song that has prominent vocals that are for both Tom and for Mark. It's sort of a nice reboot of the group, and I think it bodes well for the album. It's a little basic, but maybe that's what is needed right now. It does feel very rebooty. It's funny because Blink-182, of course, (laughs) technically had a song as recently as 2020. But that was with Tom DeLonge's replacement. And the two albums they made with Matt Skiba actually have some good songs on it. But no one was really accepting that as Blink-182 was the problem. It was plus 44 and the Alkaline Trio guy. It wasn't really Blink, I think. And I'm sure all that stuff now will be erased from history. But they could call it Blink. But if Tom's not there, it's not really Blink. There may be songs in those two albums that if they had released and said, here, it's the new song with Tom DeLonge. He doesn't sing on it, but he's playing it. People will be like, this is awesome. They're back. Psychologically, no one's willing to give it credence. So yeah. they're back with this song. And, and it, it is a very simple, melodic pop punk song. It's more basic Blink-182, even on their 2003 self-titled album. They were experimenting way more than this. This is a return to pre-2003 Blink-182. Which is the most popular Blink, that when people think about Blink, the sound in their head 
is from Enema in the State, and it's from Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. It's those two albums that define their legacy in a big way, and they've resisted that sound for a very long time. And this is kind of back to it. What's funny is when we had Joe Truman from Fall Boy on the podcast the other week, this is sort of exactly what he's begging Fall Boy to do. It's a tricky thing. If you try and go back to a classic sound in a conscious way, it almost never works. I think for you too it worked, but that wasn't totally like Joshua Trey when they did Beautiful Day. And lots of bands that are like, it's back to basics, guys. It's almost worse than the experimentation. <laughs> You know, I think this could be a exception, but it it could be misleading. I imagine the album is going to be a lot more complicated than this song, and this is just kind of the first dose of it they're giving fans to get them psyched. As we'll talk about extensively, Tom DeLonge's whole thing supposedly was that he was kind of embarrassed by Blink-182. He was very interested in his UFO research <laughs> and his very bombastic band, Angels and Airwaves. And so he has a tweet it's quote tweeting another tweet. It was it showed a bunch of uh, UFOs basically destroying the planet, and the caption is "aliens." While Tom DeLonge is busy with Blink One Eighty Two again, and he quote tweeted it and said, "I'll protect Earth with dick jokes," and then he did at Blink One Eighty Two. So it suggests a man who's chastened and lighthearted and ready to return to where he belongs. Yeah, maybe that, that you can just fight your fate for so long. At a certain point, it's easier. To just to just give into it, be who you are meant to be, be the person the public loves. Just count the money and just surrender to the ease of being the old Tom DeLonge again, which I think is great. Though I was reading the fan forum and a bunch of fans they were bitching about him singing in his Angels and Airwaves voice, and what they mean <laughs> is him singing in his current day singing voice and not his singing voice that he had in his early twenties, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. Yeah. If you're trying to recreate the thing, people are going to point out places where they, you didn't quite recreate it. I guess that is the problem. Yeah, and what's cool about him in Blink is it forces him to paint with a very limited palette. It's just drum, guitar, bass. He can't do the Angels and Airwaves thing. He's forced to play in a stripped-down combo. I think he works better in a smaller combo. People are reacting on TikTok and other social media as if this is the band's first reunion since, like, 2003. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's a weird thing. It's only been eight years or whatever since he was in the band. But in that interim, they made two records with somebody else. They toured a lot. It was this incomplete thing. It was very unfulfilling in a lot of ways for fans. This is the kind of thing that so they've been praying to see this moment for a pretty long time. And so people are just ecstatic. Even though you're right, it has not been that long. I guess the best analogy, the closest analogy is probably the Chili Peppers, who I remember was in and out. The band kept going, but yet people basically act like the clock is reset. Every time it's, it's huge news. Right, that the Chili's went from playing arenas that weren't totally full to stadiums all over the country from just bringing back a guitar player. You know, they didn't sing the songs or anything, and the replacement, he played the parts like quite well, but there's something, there's an emotional connection to seeing a full lineup on stage back together again. It's the puzzle is complete, and for the fans, it's just much more satisfying. There's a really funny part in Travis Barker's book where he tries to, Travis being, of course, the drummer of Blink-182, where he tries to convince you, the reader, that when they played their first shows with Matt Skiba, 
these warm-up shows that people in the crowd were shouting Skiba, Skiba. They were so happy, <laughs> supposedly, that a founding member of the band who shares lead vocals was not in the band. They were just the crowds just yeah. couldn't it's, get over their excitement. It's the classic story that when bands hire a placement singer, they say, oh, this is better than before. This is the best thing that's ever happened to us. We love this guy. He's our brother. Our new songs with him are so meaningful to us. We've never been happier. And the second that person leaves, they erased that from history. He's never referenced again. They took the albums off Spotify, off their website. It never happened. <laughs> the weird thing is when I talked to Travis Barker last year, he said there were basically there were two Blink-182 projects in the works with Skiba. There was one that was like all these rappers, like, I don't know, Lil Wayne and stuff, the quote-unquote modern hip-hop-influenced thing that Barker wants, and then maybe a classic Blink-182 album, all this with Skiba. I would imagine, just as with the Chili Peppers, who were working on music with uh, their replacement guitarist, Klinghoffer, <laughs> that all this stuff has been scrapped, maybe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And probably erased off hard drives and their, <laughs> and their memories. They were like men in black style erased that even happened. That what happened, you know, a we couple did. years ago, they did a big Blink summer tour of amphitheaters with Wayne. Uh, and the ticket sales were so abysmal <laughs> that a week before it started, they announced they're doing Enema of the State straight through. It was like this desperate ploy. Another classic and, move, yeah. And I still went on Ticketmaster. There was just oceans of blue dots of unsold tickets. Wayne tried to quit the tour a few weeks in and was told he couldn't quit. He was like there against his will. It was just such a fiasco and a low point that Tom's return was just inevitable. They couldn't keep doing this. I think it's a few things. I think that their core audience is at an even better age for nostalgia now then they were in 2009 or so when they first reunited. It also was it, too sort of too soon to be a it was blockbuster reunion. That nostalgia takes time to sink in, and he'd just been gone like five years at that point. You have to be really in your mid-30s-ish to get super nostalgic. I think about the new kids on the block, that if they had reformed in 2001 or something, it wouldn't have worked. Their fans were still young. They were living their lives. When they reformed in 2008, it was perfect timing back in arenas. You have to time it right. Yeah, I'm sure Blink fans are going to really appreciate that comparison. But I, I'm not saying no, they're saying. very different bands. Yeah. I love Blink. Uh, New Kids are a shitty boy band. It's totally different. And now why are you disparaging New Kids on the Block? Because they're not good. <laughs> okay, They don't make good music. I will say it publicly, okay? But basically, it does feel for a number of reasons like Tom DeLonge. It feels like Tom is probably back in a more real way this time. It just feels that way. I think it's because once you leave this many times and then come back, it feels like maybe you yeah. committed this time. No. Yeah, that in 2011, I spent the day at their show. I was with the whole band for hours backstage. And I go to Tom's dressing room. He's wearing a Angels and Airwaves hat, a Angels and Airwaves shirt. He had an Angels and Airwaves sticker on his laptop and was working on New Angels and Airwaves songs in his dressing room before the Blink show. And it was so funny, and it was very clear from what he even said to me, that Angels and Airwaves is his passion, it's his heart. Blink was just his ATM. It was a way to make lots of money. But for him to go back and pretend to be 15 and go on stage and make dick jokes and sing these old songs again, yeah, that his heart was not in it. You could watch those old videos 
He's singing the songs, but his eyes show just boredom and just almost hostility. And I will say they they did make in 2011 a record, a whole album with Tom DeLonge. Neighborhood. What's so funny about that is when I interviewed them, they told me about making it in separate studios and how great that was. They were like, Tom was in his studio and we were in our studio and it was perfect because we could work separately and do our own thing. And then two years later when Tom left, they, they, they totally trashed him for refusing to go into the same studio as them and, and, and that ruined the record, they said. They couldn't work together because their vision of the band by that point was so different that it was almost impossible you know, to even make one record. And they made two records with his replacement, and those really have not made an enormous splash in the culture. But even as that happened, of course, as I, I interviewed Travis Barker last year, because he's become more famous than ever for a lot of reasons, based on his uh, Kardashian relationship and his association with the pop-punk revival producing the Machine Gun Kelly's albums and a million other things. So there's this weird thing. I mean, right now, Travis Barker is in this insane position of strength. He's super famous. He's super successful. He's super current. He's working all these songs that are very relevant. But strangely, he has a real passion for Blink. He's very committed to it. He doesn't have to spend his next 18 months on the road with Blink. But he really loves it. He's very close to Mark. Mark just survived cancer. I mean, it was really bad. And he's cancer-free now. So in the same way that their last reunion was kind of born out of Travis's plane accident, I feel this is sort of born out of Mark's cancer, that he survived that. There's been so much tragedy that's interspliced with the story of these three goofy guys. Even before DeLong officially joined the band last year, Barker told me that he thought he was going to spend a ton of time with Blink in uh, this year and next year. And he also told me that he, he kind of telegraphed this because he said that he and Mark were back on friendly terms with Tom DeLonge. Yeah. That was not something that happened often. So that kind of, I'm sure, I'm sure when Sheba heard that, he, he started, you know, looking for other work. Well, and they played a couple of like COVID era streams that were without Skiba. So it looked really fraught for poor Matt Skiba for a while there. And Hoppus is apparently writing a book about his cancer survival and about his whole life. So it's going to be a moment for Blink-182. So I thought we'd go back and sort of tell the story of the band a little bit and of their strife, because it's a, actually a really interesting story that should be told in longer form, whatever that may be. Hoppus and DeLong were together way before Travis Barker. Yeah, it's basically two teenage buddies from San Diego that loved punk music and skateboarding. And when they were 15, they were locked in together. They were true best friends. They loved the same kind of music. And they made a bunch of these early songs and these early albums. It was very under the radar. And then when Travis joined, it was the missing piece. And their and then their chops grew as songwriters and as and as musicians. And Travis is such a great drummer that when they put they put out Anima of the State in the late nineties, it just exploded. It was all over MTV. It was like the right band 
at the right time. As I said in the Rolling Stone cover story that they were like Fisher Price is my first punk band for lots of kids. It was a way to get into a new kind of music with all the rough edges just sawed away. You know, it was very easy to embrace for kids that were looking for something different. And I think both the music and the lyrics had more melancholy and depth than just sort of a cursory view of the singles and videos would suggest. You know, even an early song like Damn It had that I- incredible melancholy to it. It's all right to tell me what you think about me. I won't try to argue or hold it against you. Yeah, then there's Adam's song. stay together for the kids. There's a lot of deep stuff in there that I think teenagers, they connected to in in addition to all of the dick jokes and all of the goofiness that's in the band. I think that's sort of the formula of the group. It's really, I think teenagers at the time, they could really connect to the depth of the emotions on something like Adam's song and just the playfulness of a song like What's My Age Again. There's a, a great duality to what they did. I think the really juvenile stuff, the album titles and the, the videos and the onstage antics helped sort of like sweeten the medicine of something like Stay Together for the Kids, which, you know, I think you have one good divorce song, you'll bond yourself to a generation forever, that's for sure, you know. <laughs> yeah. Not, not to say it was strategic, yeah, yeah. it was based on their lives, but, you know. Yeah, and then there's Aliens Exist, that there's all of these different angles of the band on <laughs> what, these early records. Yeah, let's talk about Aliens Exist, because <laughs> few songs have foreshadowed the future more uh, than Aliens Exist. Tom DeLonge wrote it, and at the time, it's, it's one of those things where you could just dismiss as, oh, like, what a fun song, but <laughs> it, it turned out to presage his passionate commitment to the cause yeah. of proving that UFOs are real, which ended up involving a lot of his time and money and is locked into the themes of his breakaway band, Angels and Airways. But he also became like a key force behind UFO research. Yeah, and a bunch of these emails that came out that his name is in a ton of them. And even sort of the WikiLeaks emails ever that came out, he's extremely involved in this UFO stuff. And there's the end, you know... I don't believe he's proved anything, but plenty of U.S. of these UFO enthusiasts, they see him as their leader. And they produced a bunch of these videos from airplanes that they swear are, are that confirmed with, with no doubt that there's UFOs in this guy. Well, yeah, look, look, on one level, he's been completely vindicated because there are UFOs. <laughs> They're just not necessarily aliens. I'm sorry, Tom, but there are UFOs. The existence of UFOs has been confirmed by the U.S. government now, and they have these videos. It's just, again, like he would insist that they're aliens, but we don't know what they are. But there are UFOs, so congratulations, Tom DeLong. Yeah. Something exists, you know? So Blink-182 with Travis Barker in their prime had only three albums. Their major label debut was Dude Ranch, and that was in 1997, and that was with their previous drummer, Scott Rayner, and that actually had Damn It on it, their first real hit. But yeah, once Travis Barker arrived and they had a definitive lineup, there were only three albums. Yeah, there was, there was End With The State, there was Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, and there was Self-Title. And in the story of these few years, you see Tom so quickly wanting to break away from Blink, wanting to break away 
from the pop punk sound. He formed Boxcar Racer, which was a post-punk group. This vacation's useless, these white pills aren't kind. I've given a lot of thought on this 13-hour Wait, That was with Travis very early. He felt the straitjacket of Blink extremely early when he was in his mid-20s. And Mark was very upset by it because, you know, it was a spin-off group with two-thirds of the band that were after making albums. They were touring. Yeah, and in Travis's book, he was like, you know, only like later did I realize like, wow, it looked kind of like two guys from the band were going off and forming a, another band without the third guy. It's like, looked like, <laughs> like that's yeah, what you were doing. It would be like <laughs> if Stuart Copeland and Sting started a group together in 1980 or something. <laughs> it well, sure. It's crazy. also, it's also, by the way, what's happening with Radiohead right now with the smile. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was a big problem. And then when Tom came back, the music changed. It wasn't as accessible. It wasn't as successful. But it also was still very popular. Well, oh, wait, wait. You're talking about the unself-titled. Yeah. I mean, that's a great album, but that showed growth. And it wasn't just Tom. It was also Travis Barker was ahead of his time. This band, The Transplants, that was kind of like a a hip hop punk fusion. loved hip-hop. The other guys, especially Tom, had no interest in that whatsoever. Yeah, Tom, he liked groups like U2 and Muse and stuff. Big stadium rock style sounds is what he likes. Mark is like an old-school Blink fan that's a member of Blink. He wants Enema of the State forever. So you have three very different visions for this group, which made it very hard to carry on. In Travis's book, he takes credit for basically introducing that he says that Tom basically liked only two bands, The Descendants. Why can't you say you talk to me? You're anything about someone else. And Propagandi. Say that all cops. Say that all men. Yeah, you resisted only 99%. There's nothing new for you. And that he introduced him to all his music, so he kind of like built his own downfall into this. But Travis's electronic and hip-hop thing is not to be underestimated as another factor, because if you listen to Self-Titled, they're already putting in, like, you know, electronic beats and hip-hop stuff and stuff. I mean, and, and the other thing is, is it was at that point 2003, and the writing was on the wall for traditional rock, and that was the other thing. So Travis, yeah. again, was living in the future. It was smart, and it worked briefly. I saw, like, feeling this is great. It was Blank moving into the future, it just couldn't continue because when you have three visions of the group that are that different and Tom was so determined to do something else. The important thing in these books and uh, is to sometimes read between the lines, he, he mentions sort of in passing that maybe the uh, reality TV cameras for Travis's show Meet the Barkers might have been somewhat <laughs> irritating to the band. And, that, and it was actually, it was Mark who quit the band. It was Mark. So, right. so it isn't Tom's... Tom's artistic ambition are one factor, but Travis's Travisness is seems like another factor as well. Yeah, that these MTV shows of the mid two thousands were so destructive to families, to relationships. Think about Nick and Jessica. You think about the Osborne kids becoming drug addicts. You think about the Hogan family imploding. These it was these reality shows were so destructive. It's so intrusive to have cameras around all the time and make your real life into a soap opera for MTV. It's just crazy. So they break up, but but almost immediately, Travis and Mark, they form Plus 44, a very blank-ish 
been Ak Farouk that at first said that we're not going to play blank songs. We're we are plus 44. We're a new group. Then after a year, they're playing the blank hits, of course. But, you know, yeah, it wasn't satisfying because people don't want plus 44. They want like they do. You know, it's kind of absurd. <laughs> and, and plus 44, by the way, is basically the same thing as the Skiba era blink. Right. And then meanwhile, Tom is doing Angels and Airwaves. He's just doing like Bad U2, which, you know, well, I know stands for it. The, yeah, there are people. I personally was always a little baffled by Angels and Airwaves. I, I didn't hate it. I admired the ambition, but it, it always, I mean, I think... What was more peculiar than the music, because I understand the the sort of urge to do, you know, this anthemic giant rock, you know, totally understand that. But there was some very bizarre conceptual stuff that seemed to relate to the alien stuff. There were books attached to it, like graphic novels. To follow it all, you had to really... Be a fan and really get down to a granular level. Some uh, some titles from the uh, 2011 Angels and Airways album, Love Part 1 and 2, uh, The Flight of Apollo, The Moon, Dash Atomic. Like every dream's been sealed shut. Like every door has closed. Moon is my witness, the revelator. Behold a pale horse. I am the first and last very far away from this suburban angst of of, of blink right and very pretentious and honestly it, and if you're playing songs that are like that built for arenas but in like a club it's just awkward from my estimation it didn't work i know that i have a cult following and they're popular i don't want to shit on them but most blink fans did not enjoy it and most then most blink fans were not totally pleased by plus 44 What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Um, and then, but they weren't speaking and the group seemed, it seemed truly over. Then in 2008 was this horrible plane accident that the fact Travis is, is even alive after that is an absolute miracle. You don't survive a plane crash. It was only DJ AM and Travis survived the pilot and their assistant and everybody else in the plane died on impact or died soon after. Uh, Travis was covered in significant burns. He was extremely injured. And it was while he was recovering is when Tom came to visit him and Mark came and they decided to put the band back together. But Travis was still deep in the throes of PTSD and he wouldn't fly in an airplane for at least a decade or so. In his book, like kind of horrifyingly, he talks about how he was, uh, he was scared of flying before that. Because it's Travis, this colorful, tattooed punk rock guy, I think people can't quite get their heads around the sheer horror of what no, this guy experienced. The, the plane crashed, and then he runs out of the wreckage totally doused in flames. I mean, it's just the most awful thing anybody can experience. 
And DJ AM died of a drug overdose just not long afterwards. So Travis is the sole survivor of this flight. And when he recovered, the band reunited and they toured. And it, it was very successful. But as I was saying, Tom's heart was not totally into it and it imploded a few years later. Mark and Travis gave an interview to Rolling Stone's Jason Newman where they're basically like, <laughs> like, to summarize, fuck Tom DeLonge, I think would be, <laughs> that's where they said he was ashamed of the band and everything, and it was just an ATM to him. And Which he then posted a Facebook message basically being like, it's not true. You know, I have a lot of ideas for the band. They don't want to agree with me. And, and just so, you know, and it, then, then, well, it, then quits. He quits. And whenever they would announce a tour, it's he would hint online, he was still in the band, that he was coming back. And it almost seemed designed to tank those tours, because why go see those tours in theater and just wait and have Tom back? I'm, I'm sure he was pissed off that they carried on with somebody else. Well, there was some indication that there were some legal issues about continuing on as Blink without him. Like Travis said, everyone was just shouting, Skiba, Skiba, Skiba. I mean, people could not have been happier. That At least that's what he said in his book. I don't know. Uh, of course. Yeah. It's like, who wants Slash when there's Buckethead on stage, right? It's even better than Buckethead. That's a cooler hat yeah, at the KFC thing than a top hat. Yeah. New and improved now with Bucket, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, although, actually, I would have to say that right now, if you ask me who would I rather see, Buckethead or Slash, I, oh. I think I might say Buckethead. I'm sorry. But that's a whole other, at least that, that might be That's a whole other conversation. At, at least that might be interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> at least not just bored Slash playing these parts a zillionth time, you know, about half asleep. Yeah. <laughs> At least Buckethead would probably be awake on stage. Um, <laughs> don't know if I'll leave that in. We'll see. Yeah, so basically, you know, he has his plane crash and, you know, everyone uh, tearfully rededicates themselves to the band. And then a few years later, Tom undedicates himself to the band. Well, I think what happened was Tom was controlling everything. Tom, he his own manager. He would decide when they toured. He would decide when they'd record, how they'd record. And after a while, just, just the resentment of one third of this band is controlling everything. And if you watch videos on YouTube that are pro shot of them at the Reading Festival in 2014, you can see Tom not trying. He's singing the songs wrong. He's playing the guitar parts wrong. He's, he's his hat pulled so far down over his head that you barely see his eyes. It's like he was trying to hide from himself on stage or something. Maybe now that the aliens have been found, <laughs> maybe now that the <laughs> UFOs have been proven, he feels he has nothing left to prove, and that's why he can, he can go back. I think I mean, more, sure. more realistically, I would bet that Mark Hopp is having a very serious brush with cancer that was probably life-threatening. That tends to oh, yeah. clarify things. And if they, they already were back on friendly terms before that diagnosis was announced. If you're already reestablishing a friendship and then there's this sickness and you realize, you know, you only have so much time on this earth, it's that classic thing. So why not, you know, get back together? And, yeah. And, uh, and, and with bands that started as real legit friends when they were very young, but there's always something there they can fall back on. This wasn't a mercenary band. These are people that really loved each other at some point when they were kids. And so that often helps. I mean, but this is a big tour. I'm sure Live Nation, they came to them and they were like, do you want $100 million to split three ways and go do 100 shows, you know? What I've never seen before is where a member of the band helped create the cultural climate 
that then would lead for it to be a perfect time for the band to come back. And that's exactly what Travis Barker did. As we touched upon, yes, he produced with, he played and produced and co-wrote with Machine Gun Kelly. Watch me, take a good thing and fuck it all up in one night. Catch me, I'm the one on the run away from the headlights. But also a whole lot of other people. Uh, Willow. I don't fucking know if it's a liar, it's a fact. And he's also, you know, not with necessarily a ton of success, but is signing all these TikTok stars to his label. He is right in the thick of things. He helped bring back pop punk in the mainstream. But this is as, you know, anyone who's been listening to this podcast knows that, or just to the radio knows that, you know, guitars are back on the radio. Pop punk is back. And so, and it's really not the pop punk of Green Day. It's the pop punk of Blink-182. Yeah, they're the forefathers of this. And if that was enough, that, that Travis married Kourtney Kardashian. So he's a part of the show now. It's watched by all these people. So there's going to be like some synergy there. I'm sure that a big part of this, the future season will be on this tour. It's just free promotion on Hulu. I mean, someone like the late Juice World, love Blink-182. Their influence is everywhere. I was listening to their discography and thinking what it was like to be Billy Joe Armstrong, hearing their, their first couple albums on a major label. And just when he was kind of feeling like he needed to evolve and he didn't want to be a young punk anymore, here comes these young punks who yeah. definitely wanted to be young punks. It's, a weird, it's an amazing yeah. thing. Then in 2002, at a low point of Green Day, they toured together, but Blink closed out every single show. So Green Day was opening up for the band for a, a band that really followed it in their wake in so many ways. I think that tour was probably the real secret origin of American Idiot. It's like, I, we cannot, right. we, this, is, this is intolerable. <laughs> we got to either go for it or, or disappear. Yeah, and then Green Day surpassed them for quite a while. For years and years and years and years with a bigger band. But right now on the cultural radar, Blink is a bigger deal. What is that? Actually, it also is that terribly unfair thing where sometimes the best thing you can do for your legacy is essentially go away. Although even or, or even weirder, I talked about Chili Peppers. Another analogy is, as we just mentioned, Guns N' Roses, where technically you almost never went away. You've been going and going, but in this weird way where no one really believes it's you. <laughs> so you're cashing the paycheck. Yeah, no, but like, if you reunite, it's a reboot. They had Guns N' Roses in 2015 were playing Vegas residencies at theaters. They were playing Hammerstein Ballroom type places. They were out of arenas. They had over toured. It was just Axel. It was the same show year after year after year with a rotating crew of Bumblefoots and all these guys. And even when Duff came back for a tour, it was no big deal. You bring in Slash, suddenly... The whole past 20 years didn't happen. <laughs> Back in stadiums, a complete reboot. You could go see Blink-182 like three years ago, right? Blink-182 were on tour not that long ago. They did Enemy of the State straight through their biggest record. It, nobody really cared. They were playing to oceans of empty seats. I guess what's important to remember is the difference between some of these other bands we're talking about is Tom DeLonge was also a lead vocalist in the band. They split yeah. the lead vocals. So it's much more significant you know, to, to the full sound and feel of the band than just losing a guitar player. You were, losing, you were losing the guitarist and one of the singers. Yeah, and there's the dynamic 
between them on stage that was a big part of the appeal. They'd make jokes back and forth. Like Travis didn't talk on stage. It was Mark and Tom were the spirit of the band, this eternal youth thing that if you take one out, it just collapses. I'm sure Skiba had a great sense of humor. I don't know. But yes. And, and listen, that, no offense to him. He's a talented dude. It's just like, it's just such an awkward position to be in. It's impossible. It's impossible. And their stage show, yeah, even at the very end, was so juvenile. Even men in their late 40s just going, poopy, poopy, poopy. And, you know, it's crazy, but it's, it, it still works somehow. I think the most positive sign for him is their new song went instantly viral on TikTok. And it could have been people making fun of this old-ass band trying to sound like them when they were young. But instead, the meme was millennials being incredibly happy. Uh, which is so, so interesting and, and bodes so well for them. I can't even tell you. I can't remember the last yeah. time a, a comeback song. To have that kind of positive reaction is is, is fascinating. It's, it's sort of just Fallout Boy when they came back with, with those songs, like Centuries and stuff, where they just went right back into it. Maybe it will turn out to be like it's, that. It's very rare. And it's really surprising. When those videos started on MTV in the late 90s and they were running on the street naked... And that's about the time she walked away from me. Nobody likes you when you're 23. And I saw more of you my teeth. It didn't seem like something that was built to last. It seemed very flash in the pan. I mean, well, I understand excitement. After all, they have not made an album since 2003 or toured. Right. We made that whole other period. (laughs) None of that stuff. None of that has happened. And the thing is, look, most people, I think other than fans, there might be people who actually believe that because this is also getting more attention than their initial reunion. So there may be people who are like, holy shit, Blink-22 is back. I haven't thought about them since 2003 when I bought the self-titled album. Yeah, or there's people that during that middle period, they were late in college, you know, they were in their 20s. When you get a bit older, you go back to your old stuff. You feel nostalgic. It's just a different mental place when you're older. We're hitting this sort of chronological end of the big rock reunions, though. <laughs> this is like one of the last ones that can happen. If you think that the era of the big bands, of the big rock bands ended in like 05 or something, <laughs> and there's not many more. I don't think people will care much if the original four Panic at the Disco guys are all back together or something, you know? Yeah, so this is actually maybe that subconsciously. It's like, well, this is the last one. Time to get psyched for one last rock reunion. There certainly can be reunions, but not of rock bands, so that I can think of. I guess, you know, Oasis. Well, Oasis. Well, you can yeah. say the Smiths or the Talking Heads or whatever, but groups that are... Right, post-1997, there's not, yeah. not a lot there as far as, you know... You have to go away. <laughs> if you stick around, it's not interesting. Chris Martin could announce, like, I for the first time since 2005, I've let the other guys do something on an album. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you got to go away. If you stick around... Then you're you too, you know? Yeah, you're punished. You have to convince people that you went away. It's very strange. But three-thirds is so much bigger than two-thirds. It's very weird. What's cool was they didn't go piecemeal in the announcement, like so many tours these days. They announced so many dates that they're through mid-2024 right now with the dates that they put out. It's just the whole freaking world. It would be really interesting, actually, you use the Fall Boy analogy, if they actually had a radio hit. That would be really That's a interesting. Tall order. That would be amazing. I would say it's not. It is in this moment. It is not inconceivable. No, it is. But Fall Out Boy are the only band ever 
that reunited and managed to continue having hits. It's impossible almost. It's possible, you know, Travis is the youngest middle-aged man on earth right now. He's, you know, he, uh-huh. he, he hangs out, you know, he's through his teenage kids and through all his TikTok stuff, he's completely in touch with, with Gen Z. There's just always a lingering issue of Tom doesn't really want to be doing this. <laughs> to be totally optimistic, Tom didn't want to be doing this. Who knows where his head's at now? Yeah, I have no idea. Tom has to go play What's My Age again 500 straight times. I worry after 50 of those, he's going to start to crack. I hope that he's ready for this. Leaving a third time would kind of be unprecedented for, uh, for DeLong. Even, I think he can do it. <laughs> even Frashante has yet to leave a third time. Give him a couple years. Well, it also may not be like, it may be that this is going to be a two-year thing. And you, then, you know, either way. I think, I think that Rick Wakeman, I think he's quit yes at least five different times. This is, putting this all together is sort of one of the great not fully told stories in rock history. It's an absolutely wild ups and downs story. Well, it's a rare thing where all three members of a band or all members of a band are very compelling, have their own interesting things happening and very distinct storylines. I mean, it's sort of remarkable. All three have so much going on in such different ways. The breaking off and forming separate bands with each other is extremely funny. (laughs) They're ultimately, I think, properly rated by people of a certain generation but they definitely were a bit underrated as the band that's seen as sort of like the thing that's for kids green day with dookie were initially kind of seen as kid stuff it's just their fans were so young and then but just the way it works is then green day becomes the the grown-up band and and blink becomes the kids band when blink started and i was in high school my entire reaction was just this is just shitty juvenile green day i hated it i i didn't get it until years later but there's so much of what they did is built on green day in some ways there was, it's a generational gap thing, but you know, you were just you were just slightly a micro I was generation. Like too old for seventeen it. or eighteen, and I was just like, "Fuck this! I didn't want anything to do with it." It, it took me it's, years. It's easy to forget that, especially years ago, maybe less so now. There could be music that seventeen, eighteen-year-old, nineteen-year-olds hated, and thirteen-year-olds loved. Yeah, uh, that that it's a, the micro micro generational difference. It's a is huge a difference. Thing. When Green Day started, I was in seventh grade. I was like, "Fuck yeah!" When Blink started, I was like, a, "I was like a junior in high school." I was like, "Fuck no!" You know, it was just my brain had closed or something. People kind of look down on the kids' band, but those kids grow up and either become artists or get into positions of cultural authority, and suddenly Blink-182 is the most influential band that ever lived. That's just how it goes. Yeah, it's a very unlikely thing, but the biggest 90s band on the road next year is going to be Blink. You know, and you would not have thought that in the year 2000. It just sort of happened. Andy, thank you for joining me. Of course. It was my pleasure. And that's our episode for today. Rolling Stone Music Now will be back next week at the latest we've had some bonus episodes lately but in the meantime subscribe to rolling stone music now wherever you get your podcasts download us wherever you get your podcasts and maybe leave us five stars on apple podcasts and spotify that's always appreciated but as always thanks for listening and we will see you next week Welcome.
time to talk, Bill. The Ultimate Smallville Rewatch Podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.